Start with the set-aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially, help me to especially live by your spiritual truth and let go of all my old ideas. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy on me. Help me to carry your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we... Uh, up to this point, we, uh, the last meeting we covered the alcoholic tornado and the final instructions on amends. I'd just like to review that a little bit. Tonight we're going to cover what are called the promises. And we started with the alcoholic tornado on page 82, which how, is how we look to people. We look like a tornado and we roar through their lives and it's not pretty. And that's why uh, we expect when we get sober for everybody just to think everything's great. But it can't be. They've been hurt. It says we broke their hearts. We've made their relationships dead. We've uprooted infections. We've kept people in a turmoil. And he says sobriety is not enough. Sobriety is just being sober won't fix that or change that. And so it says, uh, there's a long, at the top of 83, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead. A long period. And we're going to reconstruct the building that we tore down. You see the analogy between the tornado? We destroyed the lives of people around us. And we're going to rebuild that. And it's going to take a while. And they tell us, I must take the lead. And a remorseful mumbling that I'm sorry won't fill the bill. They've heard that before. And that's not making an amends. Amends for that is living amends, taking the lead, rebuilding the building. It says we ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it. I think that is hard to do. You've had to, you should have done a thorough four-step before you do that and discuss that with someone who has experience with that. But you could analyze the past as you see it and explain to them how you see your past and what you did. But being very careful not to criticize them. It's not about how they were or how you interacted. It's the past as I now see it after having done the fourth and fifth step. What did I actually do? I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have had an affair. I shouldn't have left you, blah, 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 blah. I shouldn't have yelled at you. I shouldn't have punched the wall. It's, and analyze the past. Their defects may be glaring, and that, that could be true, but to whom? See, we shouldn't be looking at their defects anymore. We should be focusing on looking at what we did and my defects. And remember in the chapter on uh, acceptance is the answer, he talks about uh, when he was drinking and before he came into recovery, he saw everything that was wrong with his wife. And he told her all the time. And he beat her down. And then once he, he got sober, he started working the steps, and he changed. He saw that she changed. And, and as he changed, he didn't see her defects as glaring as they were. And you'll notice that if you do this, if you're new, as you change, you'll see other people look different. And, and relationships can be repaired. 
but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible for their defects. How would somebody react to living with someone who's an alcoholic for 20 years? I mean, it's hard. And it's the same way if we're living with someone who doesn't work the steps after we recover and they're still living in their spiritual illness, it, it's hard. We have to give them time. And so we clean house with the family. We had to clean house with our thinking in step four, right? We had to look at our thinking, at our personality, and we had to clean the house so God could work in our minds. So we're going to clean house with the family. We're going to try to, to repair the damage, rebuild things, uh, start over. And then uh, here's a meditation that I, I do all, every morning. Uh, I meditate that my Creator shows me the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. Notice it's the way, the path. How do I, how do I take that path each day? And that's like a vision of God's will in all my activities. How, how should I be? And patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. And I do it for the whole, everybody I'm going to meet all day long, not just with the family. And, and how do I do that? I have to stay connected to God, right? And do His will. And here's a key line in the book. It's not read a lot. It says, the spiritual life is not a theory. And then it's in squiggly writings, we have to live it. So you can want to be spiritual, but if you're not living it and changing and taking the actions, nothing's going to happen. And so um, this is an action program. I have to live the spiritual life. I have to practice these principles. I have to do it all the time. And on the next page, you're going to show how we do it every day. In step 10 and step 11, how we try to improve our relationships with God and his, his knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. How do I meditate? How do I pray? And then how do I inventory? So those th three things, prayer, meditation, inventory, are combined in 10-11, and that's really how you live the spiritual life. You're praying constantly, meditating on your relationship with God, and inventorying all the time when you're blocked from Him. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not to urge them. So you don't, you don't have to talk about your spiritual life all the time with your, your family. They may get tired of hearing it. They may just want to see the change. Talk is cheap, so I think it's the action. What are our feet doing? What am, how am I actually living? Um, they will change in time. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Some people never change. They, some people don't. Some alcoholics never change because they don't uh, do the practice of the spiritual life. But most people will change in time and they'll change um, at their pace and we may not see the changes. And because and, uh, we may still not be changed ourselves. But a lot of times when you're in recovery, people say, you know, you're reacting differently. 
I see you smiling more. You're not getting so upset all the time and things like that. And then you'll be able to see, um, with the, especially with the people you love, their good qualities and, and, and see how they change. The more I love them, the more loving they become. And uh, so that's one of the gifts of recovery is, is you, you see things differently and you appreciate, and then people react to you better because you're reacting better to them. It's just that simple. It says our behavior will convince them more than our words. <coughs> and so that's why uh, talking the steps is, may, may not be as effective as actually doing them. And um, we must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. And they are doubtful and they have trouble with trusting us and, and uh, believing us. And it says, there may be some wrongs we can never fully right, and that's true. Uh, but we would if we could, right? And we're willing to make amends to everyone we've harmed, although we don't do it if it's cause more harm. Uh, we don't worry about them. If we can honestly say to ourselves that we would right them if we could, and that's one way you get over shame and guilt. I would, I would make it up if I could. I wish I could have done differently, but I, I didn't. I didn't have the power, but I would today if I could. And then you realize that the things that I did, I didn't do because I was a bad person. I did it because I had the wrong manager, me. And when I managed, I made mistakes. And so if I have the right manager today, hopefully I won't make the same mistakes. We weren't bad people, we just had our motives were selfish, and we were self-centered, and we, we managed our lives because we didn't know any differently. Did anybody have the delusion they talk about that we could wrest happiness and satisfaction out of life if we just managed well? I think uh, that's what it says on page 61. I think I had that probably when I was in my early years. And that never left me. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. I said, be careful, don't send any letters unless you have somebody read it first. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases. But we don't delay if it can be avoided. And then some amends are made on God's time. And, and, and you'll be walking in the grocery store and you'll see somebody and you'll say, wow, I, I need, owe that person amends and you'll make it. I was at that medical convention in Chicago and I saw this guy. There's only one seat left. I walked in late and I sat down. It was next to this guy who I owed amends to. It was, it was, it was great. Uh, we should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble. And that's really how we're supposed to be uh, with other people. Sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble. Humble allows God to work in me. If I'm not humble, then God can't work in me. I'm full of pride and self-centered and self-esteem. So I want to be humble. I want to be a, a servant of God. And I don't want to be servile or scraping because then that gives other people power over me. I want to stand up, say what I have to say, do what I have to do. And as God's people, we stand on our own feet. We don't crawl before anyone. And remember, we only pay the water bill once. And we don't, we don't keep making amends to people. 
we don't give them, because then we give them power all the time, and then they never forgive us because they want to have power over us. If somebody doesn't forgive you, they're still angry at you, that's their problem. You've made your amends, you've paid the bill. And then you have to act loving and kind to them all the time. Be, be the person God created. So it's not really about getting forgiveness uh, in the amends, it's about making right. And, and if you do right, uh, most of the time people will change the way they see you. But some people won't because it, it works for them to stay angry at you. I hear all the time, the ex-wife's mad at me for this and that and that. Because if she's mad at you and you're still apologizing to her, she has power over you. And so you have to break that cycle. You're the only one that can do it. So now we come to what's called the ninth step paralysis. I don't know how it came to be called that. As you're going to see on uh, the next two pages, we have what's called what you could call the ten-step promises, and then on pages 84 to 86, you have what could be called the eleven-step promises. And we read the third-step promises, and they're four-step promises throughout the whole book. And they're usually read off a card at a meeting, so new people think there's this card, and everybody reads these things, and then we chant. And they don't understand that to get to this point where these promises are coming true in your life, you have to do a lot of work. You, you've, you've, you're in your amends, which never really end, right? They never really end. It says, if we're painstaking about this phase of our development, and I, phase is a distinct process, and what is the phase? Well, you start here, you're a broken person, you, you work steps one through nine, and that's a phase of your development. And then 10 and 11 is a different phase of your development where you're keeping the work of one to nine alive every day for the rest of your life. And then you, you, you do that, one of the things that helps that is working with others, because it gets you out of self. So if you're painstaking, that means with great care or thoroughness, you will be amazed before you're halfway through. I assume they mean the amends. I don't think it's halfway through the, the steps, but I don't know, they didn't say. But you will be amazed. That means something will appear in your consciousness that's just amazing to you. And uh, let's see what they say you're gonna be amazed by. You're gonna be, know a new freedom and a new happiness. And that could be one day you just say, wow, I didn't react the way I used to. I'm, I'm seeing things differently. I'm being patient. I'm being tolerant. We have a freedom from self, a freedom from my character defects, a freedom from my self-centeredness, and a new happiness. And the new happiness is my relationship with God. And what they're getting at here is these promises are not a consistent thing that you have once and you have them the rest of your life. It's a relationship with God causes these promises to appear. So if I'm in a right relationship with God, I'll have a new freedom from self. I'll have a different pair of glasses. If I'm in a right relationship with God, I'll have a new happiness. We will not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. Why? Because I can see if I'm with God, how I managed my life and how I made these mistakes. And I don't want to shut the door on it because that can help me 
what I went through to help, help someone else see the truth about them. Because if I tell them about my past and what happened to me and what I'm like now, they may want to do this. It's a great gift that we can give someone by telling them about our past. We don't want to shut the door on it, because if you shut the door on it, then you may say, well, was it wasn't that bad. And you'll say, oh, well, you know, I, you know I, I've been sober now five years. I can get sober again. You know, well, maybe I'll have a drink today. And it may make sense, and people do it. We don't want that. We don't want to shut the door on it. I have people write in their book, the moment of complete defeat, the day they were completely defeated. And, and I don't want to forget the moment uh, when I completely gave up. When February 8th, 2.30 in the afternoon, second floor St. Francis Hospital, I got down on my knees and I said, God help me. I was, I was done. And I don't want to forget how bad it was, because if I do, then I'll convince myself it wasn't that bad and you know, I, didn't, I can stop doing this and whatever. Father Leo says, we go to meetings to keep that moment alive. The reason why it's good to go to meetings is you keep alive the idea you are an alcoholic, the idea of that moment of complete defeat, so you don't ever forget you're powerless over alcohol and you can never manage your life, right? We don't have any power not to drink today. I don't have any power. The only power I get is from God, and I have to seek that power all the time. We will comprehend the word serenity undisturbed. I will understand what it means. And I, there are days when I'm just amazed that I'm undisturbed. And I will know no peace. I will know shalom. That's what uh, we were told. We will get shalom in the New Testament. We will get peace, this peace with God and peace with our fellow man. And that's only when I'm in right relationship with God. So I could start out in the morning and I'm in right relationship with God and I know peace and I know serenity and then I get in the car and something happens and all of a sudden it's gone. And so that's why I call these really the world of the spirit promises. The promises when I'm in the world of the spirit, conscious contact with God, this is what happens. When I separate and I go into Michael's world, they're not there anymore. And step 10 is how I stay with God or I try to separate, get back to him all day long. And no matter how far down the scale we have gone, no matter how far I've been separated from God and all the things I've done, I will see how my experience can benefit others. And my experience of what? Of my powerlessness, of my inability to manage my life, of my, of my inability to live a successful life without God. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Notice it just disappears. So what are you doing when it disappears? It just disappears. And one day you'll say, you know, I'm doing really, I'm doing God's work. I feel good about myself. Um, I don't feel sorry for myself. I'm very grateful for everything that I have and everything that's happened to me. And it just goes away. And self-seeking slips away, notice the words, disappear. We lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows, I skipped a line. We lose interest in selfish things, and what are you doing when that happens? You don't know, but all of a sudden you're thinking of others. You're not thinking about yourself. 
and you start to gain interest in other people. And you notice when you're having conversations, you're not talking about yourself all the time, you're asking them questions about them. And my sponsor, Cliff, uh, went the first year or so, I burned out all the minutes on his phone, and, and uh, I called him every day on the way home, and, and for several years, and then he got sick, and he became my cancer patient. And there was a transition for me talking about myself to just talking about him all the time. And I noticed that. I said, well, you know, that's just the way it is. And uh, I noticed that in conversations, I'll, um, I'll be asking people how they're doing and this and that. And sometimes they won't ask anything about yourself. But we can see that now because we have interest in others. And we're not interested in all of our selfish things all the time. Self-seeking will slip away. I was always seeking approval. I was seeking things for me. It just slips away. Notice the words disappear, slip away. Um, no. Just spiritual terms. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. My whole attitude and, and outlook upon life will change in the morning, but then I can go back to self-centeredness at one in the afternoon. But, but when you've done this work, your attitude towards God, he's your director, you're not, your outlook on life, how can I serve other people, how can I practice God's character, it's a real change. And, and they see a change in our personality. Fear, of, and this could be called the personality change promises. This is what will happen when your personality changes and you go from self-centered to God-centered. I hadn't thought about that before, but that might be true. It says, fear of people and of economic security leaves me. What am I doing when it leaves me? But I used to have fear of people. People would come, the mailman, the phone, people at work, afraid of everything. But then I realized I don't have to fear them because I'm willing to make amends to anybody I've harmed. Everybody I had resentments at, I've worked the steps, I've forgiven them, I've seen my mistakes. And so you're not afraid to see anyone. If there's someone you're still afraid to see, then you need to do inventory on them. And I've said for years it hasn't happened that if anybody walked through the door, I wouldn't be afraid to see them. And I think that's true. I'm not afraid. I would make amends. I would try to make it right. Fear of economic security, it just leaves you. Now, anybody worry about money or jobs or any of that? Well, that, that's kind of left me because I realize any fear I have is I'm managing that area of my life. And I need to give that to God. So if I start getting concerned about uh, money or anything like that, I just put in the God box. And I'm in the moment, I say, well, I'm worried about something that hasn't happened yet because it doesn't exist right now. So it's, it's a waste of time. And I just say, God, uh, God, remove my fear of this and direct my attention to how I should be in the moment. Be grateful for what you have. Uh, be of service to others. And we, we go through that in the second step exercise on fear question is God everything or nothing. If God's nothing, I'll have economic security, insecurity. If God's everything, I won't have it. 
We will intuitively know how to handle situations. That means without conscious reasoning, I will know how to handle situations which used to baffle me. And that's, that still happens. It happens all the time. I say, well, you know, I don't need to fix this right now. I don't need to decide this. It happens at home. I don't need to talk right now. I don't need to say anything. You know, and you just, you just, you see a change. You're not perfect. Don't get me wrong. None of us are. But you see how you're handling situations differently. And then on the next page, on 86, it'll say, in the morning, we ask God um, to guide us throughout the day when we face indecision and asking him for the, the right thought or action. And we just relax and take it easy. And I do that too. I say, well, you know, I don't have to have the answer to that. I don't need that right now. God, uh, give me the right thought or action and relax and take it easy. And then we will suddenly realize, suddenly realize, so when did that happen? That God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. That means you're spiritually awake. You realize that you have a relationship with God and it's working. That could be, you could say, well, I didn't think about drinking today. I've been sober six months and I don't think about alcohol. Um, I'm not getting angry in this situation anymore. I'm not being afraid as much. And you suddenly realize, and this continues for the rest of your life. These are things that are, they happen all the time. And you can lose all this at 10 and gain it at 11. And that's the whole point why I call it the world of the spirit. If I'm connected to God and I have conscious contact, these will come true. If I get back in the Michael, they're gone. And the good thing about uh, these steps is that you don't have to be perfect. And you can be in self-centered at 10. And you can say, well, I'm off the beam here. You know, God, get me back on the beam with you. And then you can start your day over. And it says, uh, and God is doing for me what I could not do for myself. Because I couldn't do anything for myself when I came in here. I was powerless to manage my life, powerless over alcohol. God's given me the ability to see sanity towards alcohol. He's given me ability to manage my life with him. Are these extravagant promises? Stop it. Exceeding what is reasonable. Exceeding, are these extravagant? Now, you may think not, but is it true? Are these promises come true for you? Are they coming true more and more the longer you're in the program? And you see, we want this serenity. We want this emotional serenity. Being sober is great, but so is the dog. But we want to have emotional serenity. And we think not. And they thought not. Why? Because they, it says they're being fulfilled among us. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. And I wrote slowly because the ego has to be destroyed enough for these to start to work. And I've also thought that the, the, the quicker you get the, to the steps, and the quicker you're in amends, the quicker these promises will come true. If you're still doing step three for a year, it's gonna come slowly. And then I think when these promises start coming true, you're in a position with God where you're, have, you're protected by him from alcohol. You can see the truth about it. 
They will always materialize, appear, if we work for it. That's a key line. If you don't do the work, they're not going to appear. And always materialize. And it can materialize in different ways all the time. So um, this brings us to step 10, which we're going to uh, start on Saturday, where we can see how this relationship with the world of the spirit, where I'm living in God's world, is related to the promises and how I react if I'm in a fit spiritual condition. So we'll stop with that. We've got plenty of time for everybody to talk about this. Thank you.